0: to acknowledge that without you without your spirit like none of none of this matters like my my feeble words cannot transform a heart only your spirit can so we're we're asking you father to be present with us we're asking you to call people to you we're asking you to call people to repentance today we're asking you to to save lives. or we're, 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 I'm, I'm excited as that during the 1030 service we actually get to see a baptism of a man testifying that you have transformed his heart. So Father, we need you. This morning as we step into the Lord's Prayer and, and, and talk about what it means to be forgiven of our debts. Let us not minimize the debt that we have for you. Like I, re- I reflect on how, how little I regard my, my sins against you because it doesn't bring me to tears that often. How little I regard your salvation that you have procured for me because I'm just not, I, I can sing a, a song about your glory without much happening in me. So Father, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would come and soften our hearts towards you. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the confidence we can have to ask you for forgiveness because you have given us this as your um, prayer for us. We don't have to twist your arm. We don't have to get our act together before we come to you. Simply come and say, Father, forgive us of our debts. And I would pray that today might be a day for some uh, to say that for the first time, for the millionth time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so most nights, uh, at the end of the night, I read stories to my five-year-old son, Jackson. Uh, we read a couple stories. We watch our Bible video on the ParentQ app, and then we'll, we'll pray. Uh, over the last few months, he's now gotten to the point where he wants to pray, and so we'll pray together. So either I'll pray first, he'll pray, or... He'll pray first. I'll pray. He's five though. So like his prayers are pretty much just repetitions of random phrases he's heard me say. And then uh, often he just lists every single member of our family, including our dog, one by one to say thank you for them. Um, And then about two months ago, he got got really, really fascinated about the length of our, our prayers. And so uh, naturally, I just have a little bit more to say. And so I will pray longer than he prays. And so uh, every night after we would pray, as I'm leaving the room, he would start pestering me with questions about how long our prayers were. Like, Daddy, was my prayer long? Was, was my prayer short? Was your prayer long? Daddy, why, is my prayer long enough? And so like we have this fascination about this length of prayer. So like three or four nights in a row, I had to just continue to tell him over and over and over, like, hey, buddy, like prayer is like any conversation. So Sometimes you and I have like a long conversation. Sometimes we have a a short conversation. And that's okay, buddy. There's no length of prayer that makes it more acceptable than others. And so he finally took that. And then he said, well, if prayer's conversation with God, why don't I ever hear God talk back to me? And I said, huh. Well, I think Pastor Jared's going to be talking on that pretty soon. So I'll give you an answer later. I don't really know. (laughs) So I think that like my son Jack, like me, we all struggle with like wanting to know how to pray like correctly. We have this ideal. Maybe we've heard someone, maybe we've heard uh, Pastor Luke pray from the stage. And you're like, I don't know, like I could never pray like that. Like you have some definition of what prayer is in your mind and I can't ever attain to that. I don't have the gift of prayer that somebody in my missional community has. Well, prayer is something that nearly every one of us, even atheists in our in our world will often come to like at, the, at their... Worse, Like, I've I got to pray to something, some power, some being, something. And yet, we also all feel really uncomfortable with it a lot of the time. And, and, and we're not alone in that, too, because in Luke's gospel, when he uh, gives us the Lord's Prayer, it actually begins with Jesus' disciples saying, Master, Lord, Teacher, teach us to pray as John's disciples do. So then Jesus gives them this Lord's prayer. As we call it. So, the, the men who, who walked with Jesus for years asked him how to pray, and this is how he answered. So, this morning we're continuing in the Lord's Prayer. We've been in this Lord's Prayer since the beginning of August, and we're continuing now with verse 12, which says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This morning I want us to see that God offers forgiveness to us so that we can be forgiving to others. Made in the image of God, we're made to reflect his glory to all of creation. That was our original purpose, our original intent. And so if central to this Christian message is that we have been saved by faith through Jesus, then central to our Christian life should be reflecting that same forgiveness to the people in our lives. So to do this, I want us to walk through verse 12. Uh, with three questions. First, we've got to ask a question like, what even is our debt? Forgive us our debts? Like, what, what, what debt do I have to God? So, what's our debts? Second, what is forgiveness? What's that look like from God? And third, why are we forgiven? So there are many ways in which the Bible describes sin. Use these different uh, illustrations to help us understand this grand concept of what our sin against a holy God is. And here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus uses a term that's a financial term to help people understand sin. It's like adding up a debt over and over and over. You keep adding to this debt and it's a debt that you cannot repay. Now, I think that given our culture's obsession with living the good life and therefore often having a a crippling form of debt, I don't have to explain to you what debt is. But how do we relate this to God, our Father in heaven? Like, what debt do I have with him? How did I ever get a debt with him? He didn't give me a credit card. How do I have a debt with God? And we could walk through each of the Ten Commandments. We could walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he doubles down on the Ten Commandments. But essentially every failure to not love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, every failure to not love your neighbor as yourself is adding to a debt total. You've not simply just broken some rule, broken some law. You didn't just speed and therefore now you have a debt. You've broken a relationship. It's like in a marriage to cheat on your spouse It's not just like breaking the rules of marriage. That's like spitting in the face of your spouse. That's, That's destroying a relationship. So imagine my son living in my house. Day after day, he's receiving my good gifts. He's receiving the blessings that I give him, the food that I give to him, the protection I give him from harm he doesn't even know about out in the world. And not only does he have zero regard for me, but He actually thinks that he's doing it all on his own. I am so giving to him, and yet he's so stingy towards his brother. He actually takes from his brother. He wants more. I love him dearly, but he only has love for himself. Say that I make rules in the house, but I'm not just making rules to be a rule maker. I'm making rules in the house to protect him so that he can flourish, so that I can protect his brother, so his brother can flourish. And yet... Day after day, he hurts himself. He hurts his brother. And imagine that for, for days, for weeks, for his entire life, he has zero regard for me. He never, he never looks at me, he never talks to me. Now, because I'm also a simple, self-centered person just like him, just like you, uh, my response would be very quickly filled with anger. He would, he would hear about it pretty quick. Our God is just. He will not allow sin. He won't allow this debt that we have to go unpaid. But he's also not some raging lunatic that if you're in my house just ignoring me for weeks and weeks and weeks, I would snap at you. That's not how God is. You see, we can easily agree with God that murderers deserve to be punished, right? I saw on the news Friday or Saturday, a lady went on a run in Memphis early in the morning and she got abducted. I actually, I haven't looked to see if she's been found yet. Like we would agree that whoever did that to her deserves to be punished, right? But where are the lines drawn? Like who gets to set that line of like where punishment happens and where punishment doesn't happen? Is it our government? Because that line keeps moving and it keeps going back and forth because we have two opposing political parties who are out for vengeance against one another. Is that who gets to set the line? Do I get to be the one that sets the line? You see, once we accept the appropriateness of God's judgment on these big things, there is no way of keeping it out there reserved for others. If I want God's justice to fall on these big evildoers, then I must allow it to fall on myself. And I must accept that God is the creator of all justice. I must realize that he who has the authority and the responsibility to enact justice on the really big things, this very God has already determined how I should live. That I should love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And that I should love my neighbor as myself. And once you get to that point, you realize you've already racked a huge debt up with God. Because you have not loved him with all your heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I will turn my eyes from a neighbor at times. So I have a debt. How do I pay it? God's words tell us that the penalty, the way to payment for rejecting and ignoring God in his world that he created is death. There is no way to pay God off outside of that because anything that we would offer to God is his creation already. That may seem harsh, but our sin against a holy God is egregious. And this is the implication that Jesus gives us in this petition, that I have a debt that I cannot pay. So if I can't pay the debt, what can I do? Jesus says, pray, Father, forgive us our debts. Two weeks ago, when Joe Biden announced that uh, thousands and thousands of dollars for people Millions of dollars or billions, I can't even remember, across the country would be forgiven of student loan debts. I said, yes, I am preaching on debt forgiveness very soon, so this could not have come at a better time. (laughs) Jokes started rolling in about how my mortgage identifies as a student loan. But the reality is that the U.S. government or anybody else, if they swooped in and forgave every debt you had, if I know anything about the people in our city, like there, there's so much hidden debt even within the church. If, if, if anybody swooped in and paid off all my debts, I could not compare to the debt that we have with God. That's no comparison to the forgiveness that he offers us. So let's talk about what is forgiveness. What are God's steps in debt forgiveness? So first, the first thing that God does when he's forgiving debt is, here's the name the wrongdoing. He says, you have not loved me with all your heart. He says, you have not loved your neighbor as yourself. God cannot forgive that which goes unnamed. You see, we have a a tendency to just want to like just brush it under the rug, pretend it doesn't exist. Like we're just not going to talk about that, right? In our family, something bad happened and we're just not going to talk about it. But God said in forgiveness, the first step is we got to name what's going to be forgiven. And the second step is God has to condemn it. By not loving me with all your heart, by not loving your neighbor as yourself, you have violated the very purpose of your creation and that is an eternally wrong act. Naming the wrongdoing and condemning it happen almost simultaneously, but they're different because we could name a wrong. Oh, you hit me in the face. That's okay. Don't worry about it. That's fine. Oh, you stole my car. Oh, no, don't worry about it. That's fine. It's not fine. We've got to condemn the wrong thing that's happened. So in the act of forgiveness, God not only names it, but he condemns it. This is a wrong thing. And after that is where the miracle of forgiveness is amazing because God releases you, not just from the penalty of the sin, but because he's God, he has the authority to release you from the objective guilt that you have. You're no longer guilty when he releases you of it. Miroslav Volf, who has an awesome name, writes on forgiveness at length. And he says this, to forgive means to release the condemned wrongdoer, not just from the punishment, but from the guilt. To forgive means most basically to give a person the gift of existing as if they had not committed the offense at all. In God's memory, we have been made innocent across the entire span of our lives. Our transgressions do not exist Anywhere, anymore. We were sinners, but we are no longer sinners. In a sense, not even sinners in the past. And in that definition is this implicit understanding that not only has God released us from the penalty, from the guilt of our sin, but he has also chosen to forget that we have ever sinned. This is the fourth act of God's forgiveness, forgetting sin. He has the ability to forget that we have ever been a sinner. But because God is a pure, just God, he can't simply pretend as though we had not sinned. That, that would be brushing it under the rug. So something has to happen with our sin. Our forgiveness is based on our debts actually being paid. Similar to the student loan forgiveness that we're promised, someone has to pay. <clears throat> All forgiveness actually costs the giver something. And the only payment sufficient for the task to pay your debt off, other than your life, is the perfect, sinless, sacrificial death of Jesus. So in Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes, He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. In Jesus, God took the punishment. He took the penalty. He took payment for our sins and paid it himself. I want to have two quick observations about this. First, Jesus does not tell us that we have to beg and grovel for this forgiveness. He doesn't tell us we need to get our act together and then come ask for forgiveness. He says simply pray, forgive us our debts. And second, this petition, just like uh, give us our daily bread, it seems an awful lot like a command to me. Hey, God, forgive me. Not, hey God, will, will you please forgive me? Like Jesus says that we can be so confident that he will provide for us something that is completely audacious for us to ask, that you could actually just say it as a statement. God, forgive me my debts. Because he's promised to be faithful to do it. So how do you receive such forgiveness? We have to first receive the naming of our wrongdoing and we have to receive the condemnation that it is sin. This is called confession. I'm confessing that I have not loved God with all my heart. I'm confessing that I have repeatedly not loved my neighbor as myself. And then we receive the release of punishment and guilt by placing our faith in Jesus Christ alone and repenting to turn back to God. So we confess, I know I have a debt and the only thing that can pay my debt is Jesus and I want to treasure him forever. You see, no person in this room is good enough that you don't need God's forgiveness. And no person in this room is bad enough, committed too many sins, that God's forgiveness is not offered to you. So all you have to do is receive it. But if you fail to repent, Miroslav Wolf again says, to repent repent is to accept the condemnation. Unrepentant offenders implicitly say, it's wrong for you to forgive me. I've done you no wrong. Or more brazenly, they say, I don't care if you forgive or not because I don't care whether I've wronged you or not. Mostly, however, they say, I'm too ashamed of the wrongdoing I've committed to repent. Too afraid of the consequences that may befall me. When you look at this cross, you can be reminded of two realities. First, your sin is serious. It's so serious that the only thing valuable enough to pay your debt was the perfect, sinless Jesus. The worst thing that's ever been said about you was not said online. wasn't said to you when you were in sixth grade, and there was a bully on the playground the worst thing that's ever been said about you is said from the cross. It also shows that the greatest thing that could ever happen for you happened on that cross. Jesus says from the cross, I've done this for you. It's finished. Your debt is paid. You're no longer in debt. So when he tells you to pray for the forgiveness of your sins, he is telling you to have faith in his sufficient life, death, and resurrection. And then in faith, repent, From adding up to the debt ledger to live the life that you're called to live. And in this, the portion of this prayer, Jesus, he's not just giving us some prayer of like a a conversion faith. This isn't just the first thing you say and then now you're good. Now you better quit adding to the debt. He's telling his disciples, this is what you should pray. Which implicitly tells us Jesus expects that even after we have trusted in him as our savior, even after we have acknowledged our sin and received his gift by faith, we will continue to sin. We don't want to. We're made to not do that. We, we hopefully are being made into the image of Christ so that we're not doing that, but we will. And so this is a daily prayer that, Jesus, I need your forgiveness again today. Jesus is not surprised when after being a Christian for 25 years, you need to ask for forgiveness some more. Some of us get tired of asking God for forgiveness for our sins. We've been saddled up with the same old sin day after day, week after week, year after year. We keep saying, God, I, I'm sorry I'll stop doing it. I'm sorry I lost control again. And you ever feel like your prayers are like, hey God, it's me again, I, I did it again. It could feel more like we're trying to convince him we're worthy of that forgiveness this time. Pope Francis says God never tires of forgiving us. We just get tired of asking for forgiveness. So my petition to you today is do not grow weary in asking for forgiveness. Pray this prayer often. And sometimes what you need to ask forgiveness for is not having asked for forgiveness enough. And sometimes what you need to ask forgiveness for is not having a forgiving spirit yourself. So we're going to approach our final question. Why are we forgiven? There's multiple reasons why, but one of the reasons why is given here in this prayer. So we're going to continue uh, verse 12 and then verses uh, 14 and 15. So again, forgive us our debts, as we also forgive have forgiven our debtors, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins now, at first glance, it could seem that this text is saying that in order for God to forgive you, you must first forgive other people, or at least it 's saying If you don't forgive other people, God's going to pull his forgiveness back from you and give your debt back to you. I don't know about you, but that that, that brings me a lot of fear. (laughs) Makes me start thinking about situations where I've not been forgiving. But aligned with the rest of Scripture, we know that that can't actually be the case because our salvation is based upon faith alone through grace alone. So this is more pointing to the fruit of what a forgiven person looks like. You may have heard the phrase that hurt people hurt people. Jared uh, told me that a few years ago when he was preaching through forgiveness, he found the phrase, forgiven people forgive people. You being a forgiven person does not earn you God's forgiveness because that would be an earned salvation. You being a forgiven person is evidence that the forgiveness you've received has taken root and is bringing forth fruit in your life just like the rest of the fruit of the Spirit because we have just asked for our own forgiveness in this prayer, Father, forgive me my debts. We move to forgiving others with humility because though we may be a victim in a lot of situations, because we just said, God, forgive me my debts, it should be a reminder that we are also a perpetrator, that's a hard word to say, of sin as well. Kent Hughes tells us that seriously prayed, forgive us our debts, can be the healing salve for a fractured spiritual life and broken human relationships. The reminder that we too have sin gives us power to humbly forgive others of their sins against us. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect at forgiving people. It doesn't even mean you're going to be as quick to forgive as God is. But a heart transformed by the grace of Jesus will be turning towards forgiveness. And if it's not, if you're turning towards bitterness and holding grudges constantly, you have every reason to question your salvation. So then evident from this passage is that one of the reasons we're forgiven is to show God's forgiveness to the people around us. God, Because we're forgiven, we have the ability to grow a forgiving spirit. I've stated already that what forgiveness looks like for God, and it's the same when we're forgiving others, innocence. We're called to forgive as God forgives, and yet because we're not God, we cannot completely forgive as God forgives. It's the same way we're called to love as God loves, and yet because we're not God, we can't love exactly how, love, how God loves, but we're supposed to be like a, a mirror of that to the world. So to review from earlier, the forgiveness of God includes naming the wrongdoing, condemning the wrongdoing, releasing the wrongdoer, and forgetting the wrongdoing. We're called to do the same, but for us, it can look different. First of all, forgetting the sin is the absolutely the ideal. God does not want you to have something between you and another person. And at times, maybe even most of the time, that's completely possible. And it should be the case. But there are times we're simply incapable of doing this. You've heard the phrase like forgive and forget, but if you've been alive for any amount of time, you know that that is impossible. It's hard to forget things that have caused us great harm, especially in situations where trauma and abuse have happened. It's hard to forget. Pete Gregg uh, says this about this topic. He says, forgiving is not naive. It isn't forgetting. It is not saying that what the other person did was okay in any way. we We've already said it's to condemn the wrongdoing. It doesn't mean leaving yourself exposed to future attack. Forgiving may involve talking to a friend, getting counseling, or going to the police. But forgiveness is the choice to love and let go, not to hate and hold on. It tends to be a process as we choose to forgive again and again. Or as Jesus puts it, not seven times, but 77 times. Unforgiveness, it is said, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So forgiveness is not always forgetting. We've already said that to forgive is to name the wrongdoing and condemn it. And so forgiving is certainly not excusing someone's sin. Forgiving is also not a feeling, though. There are certainly times when we will not feel like forgiving a person. But Jesus has called us to it. Because unforgiveness is a toxin that will hurt you and others. And finally, forgiveness is, is not always reconciling a daily relationship. Again, certainly reconciliation is the heart of pure forgiveness. And that's exactly what is happening when God forgives us. But we're not God. So we might actually be putting ourselves in harm's way to try to reconcile a daily relationship. So at times, forgiveness has to just stop at Releasing someone of the uh, penalty and the guilt of their harm, not restoring a daily relationship. So I love the Lord's Prayer song that we've been uh, singing throughout this series, especially with the the verse, the line that, that coincides with this verse. It says, Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Forgive us. As we forgive the ones who've sinned against us, forgive them. We don't have time to get all the way into it, but you you may have read Psalm 51 before, David's confession and repentance for raping Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah murdered. He states that his sin is against them, but ultimately it's against God. So an ultimate sign of forgiveness towards someone who has hurt us is to ask God, whom they've ultimately sinned against, to forgive them as well. What led to David's confession and asking of God's forgiveness for his sins was a man who stepped in to point out the wrong that he had done to God and these people. So we must be entrenched in a forgiving community where we can practice forgiveness in the little things so that when big stuff comes along, we reflect on hard stuff that's already happened in our life. We're equipped with how to start stepping into forgiveness. So in this community, it might be easier to forgive others their wrongdoing because we have the same language, the same uh, situations going on. But honestly, I can tell you that also in this community is where trust is of the utmost importance and hurt can be the hardest. I'll be honest about that. I just came a year ago from a church in Kansas City that over the last two years is, is just breaking apart because this place where you expect nothing but love and trust is being filled with hurt. It's being filled with distrust, with a lack of repentance, with unforgiveness. So at times, the hardest place to forgive people is within this room. But we start by doing that by forgiving each other of the little sins. I offended you because I forgot that you have an allergy and I've made the entire family meal something that's your allergy. All bread. Sorry, Jared. <laughs> so is there a line where you stop forgiving someone? Jesus says no. Is there a type of person who you don't have to forgive? Again, Scripture says aloud no. C.S. Lewis has this amazing quote. He says, No part of this teaching is clearer, and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we're to forgive people's sins, providing they're not too frightful, or provided that there are extenuating circumstances, or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all. However spiteful, however mean, however often they are related. Because if we don't, we shall be forgiven none of our own. So my encouragement to you today is pray this prayer. Pray it often. As often as you sin, as often as you're sinned against. All of Scripture cries out that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So as we conclude, I just want to point out three realities really quick. First, as we talked about God forgiving you and you forgiving others for hurting you, have you paused to think for a moment that there might be somebody in this room who they, they think about who they need to forgive. You're the one that they need to forgive. You're the one that's caused them hurt. You're the one that's made them a victim. You're not always the victim. Sometimes you need to be forgiven as well. Not just by God, but by people in this room. Secondly, connected to that, you should always forgive someone with humility and the awareness that when you forgive, if you do it in a face-to-face, hey, I forgive you of this X, Y, Z thing, especially this comes up in marriage, uh, you need to be ready to receive the fact that you need to um, be forgiven as well. Not only do you need to forgive your spouse for X, Y, Z, they need to forgive you because your sin may have even caused X, Y, Z. And third, not all offenses actually need to be spoken out loud. Proverbs 19.11 shows us that sometimes, maybe even most of the time, especially for small things, we can simply overlook an offense. We still go through that process of releasing someone from their guilt, but we just overlook it. We don't have to go up to Matt Wesley and say, hey, Matt, you know, you said that thing. I forgive you, don't worry. Uh, You don't have to tell everything. Some things can just be overlooked. There are times when confrontation is absolutely necessary and there are times when it's not. Because if every single person came to me about every offense I've ever done, I wouldn't have time to work. So all of this is hard, particularly um, for the really egregious hurts in our life. It's really hard to forgive. It's really hard to forgive ourselves for the things that we've done at times, right? But Jesus is very serious about this. He's so serious about this that he went to the cross for us. We're so messed up that we have an endless list of things that we need to be forgiven of, including not asking for forgiveness, not having a forgiven spirit, and by golly, sometimes being an absolute jerk when we go to forgive somebody. But God's forgiveness through Jesus is sufficient for the task of all those things. We're made in the image of God and He is a forgiving and merciful God. We're never more like God than when we're forgiving another person. So one final Miroslav Volf, quote, just because I like to say his name. And then we'll start communion. Creation owes its very existence to forgiveness. Christ was destined as God's sacrificial lamb before the foundation of the world. Some have suggested that the world was created so that it would be redeemed and finally glorified. Redemption was not a solution God thought up after human beings botched God's first attempt. Instead, it was the purpose of creation. Each of us exists because the gift of life rests on the gift of forgiveness. And so that's why every single week we come to take communion. We end our service. This is the highlight of my week every week to come and partake in the bread and juice to remember what Jesus has done. So Jesus gave us this meal. And because we have a baptism in the second service today, they're on the outsides of the the aisles. But he gave us this bread to remember his body broken for us. And he gave us this juice to remember his blood shed for us so that we can remember his perfect, sinless life and the fact that he rose after death. That's what we celebrate in baptism and in communion. So, if you're a Christian, like I invite you to come, the way we do is we just kind of line up and we have servers that will tear off a piece of the bread and say, This is the body of Jesus broken for you. You'll take that bread, you'll dip it in the juice. And they'll say that this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. And you'll take and eat it. If you're not a believer in the room, we don't have many closed doors to you, but this is not going to be helpful for you at all. This is just bread and juice. Now it is something special to us as believers, but this will not save you. And so instead of coming to take part in a religious ceremony that, that has no meaning for you, stay in your seat and pray. And maybe you can pray this prayer. Father, forgive me my debts. So, at the time, our, our servers will come, our band will come back up as we prepare for this. And if you're uh, uncomfortable coming to take bread and juice uh, from the servers here in the back of the room, uh, there's also um, disposable cups that you can take as well. So, our servers are coming now. Uh, will you guys pray with me? Father, there's a lot of things we ask of you. A lot of tangible things we ask of you. A lot of good things we ask of you. We ask for healing in people's lives. We ask for a release from addiction. We ask for you to, to bless us financially or with a job. But the single most important thing we can ask you is forgive us our debts. Let us come to communion this morning with the confidence that you are faithful to provide that you're not reluctant to forgive us, but that you long to forgive us. Father, if there are men and women in this room who have not known your salvation, I pray that you, by the power of your spirit, would awaken them today. Soften hearts. Give them new hearts so that they can experience the joy of what it feels like to be forgiven so that we can go about our lives and forgive the people around us. As we partake in communion, let us remember all that you have paid for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.